welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. For those who have the gift of theater in their DNA, there are few ways more effective to reach an audience about history than through first-person interpretation, dressing and speaking as a historical character. For the rest of us, a good way to connect with people is by listening to them and answering the questions they want to ask. Donna D. McCreary has done both, first in her long career as a Mary Lincoln presenter, and now in her new book, Mary Lincoln Demystified, Frequently Asked Questions About Abraham's Wife. We'll get answers to some of those FAQ from Donna McCreary tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you tonight from the dark and empty third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University. It's dark because it's night. It's empty because it's the end of the semester. And even though it's East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, I am not representing the university or anybody else, just myself. And as always, our guest speaks only for herself here on Civil War Talk Radio. It's September. No, it's not. It's December. It's December 7th, a date which apparently does not live in my memory. Uh, December 7th of 2022. It is the first show of the month. It's almost the end of the academic semester and the end of the uh, fall season of Civil War Talk Radio. Outside in the big world, the World Cup soccer tournament is moving along. USA got knocked out. Now just the adults are still playing uh, Brazil, Argentina, France, England, and so on. Anyone could win. I enjoy following it, but it's it still doesn't match the thrill of coaching Greenville Stars U12 girls and the Beast of the East tournament, but that was many years ago. Let's stay in the present. Uh, or even in the future, East Carolina is still playing uh, American football, 
the team found out we're we're heading to the uh, obscure consolation bowl in birmingham alabama on december 27th uh i think we were playing coastal carolina did not know they had a football team but at least it's a bowl game pirate nation is glad to be back in the upper two-thirds of college teams that get to play in a bowl game so that's good news and my alma mater, Michigan, is still rolling. We won the Big Ten title last night. I say we like I had something to do with it. And now headed off to the national playoff. Here on campus, where I do actually have something to do, uh, final exams are underway. Students have turned in their final papers for the semester. In some classes, I have students write book reviews. They have to go to the library and select an academic monograph, which is not something many of them have read before, especially if they're taking uh, the one, the, the the first year introductory history class, which I do enjoy teaching, uh, and uh, that forces them to go to the library, which they might not otherwise get beyond the Starbucks on the first floor of the library. This makes them go up where the books are. But the real challenge is reading the reviews and trying to figure out have they in fact done more than read the front and back cover, maybe the table of contents. One of the tells is when you get a book, um, oh, and there's our, our uh, that's not our guest tonight, uh, uh, but it sounds like her, her beast is in the background. Uh, you, you get a book review of a book, and I'll, I'll paraphrase to protect the guilty. Uh, you get a first sentence like this. The book Britain, America, and the Special Relationship Since 1941 is about Britain, America, and their relationship, which has been special since 1941. Now, I I ask the students to write uh, no more than a certain number of words, 750 words, like in an academic book review. I don't ask them to write up to a limit, because then they learn to be wordy and verbose. I say no more than 750. But when a student only turns in 300 words, and it still has sentences like that, which indicate no content whatsoever, it's it's a pretty good bet that they have not, in fact, actually cracked the covers of the book. Having said that, I will say some of the students here are extremely good. Uh, the very best students here at East Carolina could compete effectively at Chapel Hill, at Michigan, at Harvard. Um, the, the difference is that the elite students like that here are, are outliers, and at more selective schools, there are students like that in every class, some of them, sometimes a lot of them, and at, at Harvard, and I don't think I've mentioned uh, recently enough that I have a Harvard degree, uh, when I was in grad school there, all the students were academically elite, except the hockey players. And that was 1989 when I was uh, first teaching grad classes there, and the hockey team won the NCAA title that year. So they were busy with something else. Uh, But everybody else there was was an A-plus student. It was quite remarkable. Well, enough about academia. Let's talk about this show. You can find out what we're doing on the show here at Impediments of War, www.impedimentsofwar.org. While you're there, you can see next week's show will be Gary Gallagher talking about his new edition of Bruce Catton's Army of the Potomac trilogy. You'll see in January, well, as soon as we put it up there, Jim Scythes comes back to the show, Stephen Cowie, book on Sharpsburg, Hampton Newsom returns, old friend of the show, and an exciting new book, 
just out on the 15th core that I'll know more about when I read it. So lots coming up in 2023. While you're at the website, buy yourself a t-shirt, buy another one for all the people you are to whom you are related and give it give them t-shirts for Christmas uh, or whatever holiday you're celebrating. Civil War Talk Radio t-shirts are always in good taste. And uh, donate to the Civil War Talk Radio Fund of Miscellany of Books and Bourbon. Thank you to everyone who responded to last week's emergency request. The Bourbon Fund has been replenished somewhat. Um, I discovered my wife, who enjoys the occasional whiskey sour, had run out of industrial Jim Beam and was using some of my Civil War Talk Radio collection to uh, to make her mixed drink. That was that that cannot stand. So uh, so keep the contributions coming in if if you would. But don't deduct them on your taxes. Don't forget that famous people have recently gotten in tax trouble. Don't you be one of them. Uh, you cannot. Uh, deduct donations to this show. It's not a 501c3. It is, however, a show where we talk about history, and tonight's guest, Donna D. McCreary, has been on the show before, some years ago, to talk about uh, uh, her book, Lincoln's Table, Victorian Recipes, from Kentucky, Indiana, and Illinois to the White House. That was uh, an interesting conversation almost, I think, a decade ago now. But tonight, we're talking about Mary Lincoln herself. Uh, the book is called Frequently Asked Questions About Abraham's Wife. Uh, that's the subtitle, Mary Lincoln Demystified. And, uh, well, let's talk about it. Donna, are you there? I know your dog I is am. there. <laughs> Welcome I back am to here. the show. I uh, want to thank you for having me on tonight, and it's always my pleasure to talk to you. I miss our conversations up at Fort Wayne, and I apologize for the background noise. My dog has decided to go crazy for some reason. Uh, what, what's your dog's name? My dog's name is Keely. Keely. Um, Keely. Keely, get a grip. Um, your mom is talking, and she's got important <laughs> we live in things the woods to talk about. Something is walking around outside, and he just cannot tolerate it. Well, he, he's got got to uh, get a grasp on We do not have dogs currently. Uh, we'd be lost both our dogs a couple of years ago. Uh, we're currently babysitting my daughter's cat, um, and they're just different from dogs. We're not going to talk about cats and dogs. You mentioned uh, Fort Wayne. You and I go back to days when I was working at Fort Wayne's Lincoln Museum, and you were actively presenting uh, first-person shows as Mary Lincoln. The dust jacket on the book here, I look on the back, says that you... Uh, um, where did I see it? You you did your shows up through what two thousand and twelve was it? Um, I, I believe so. There I, it is. And then I retired. <laughs> so so you haven't been on the Lincoln presenting circuit for a while, is that right? I've been lecturing, but I have not been performing as Mary. Uh, okay. So I, well, what, what got you started performing as Mary? I started researching in ninety one. And I did my first performance in February of 1992. It's, that was, boy, just when I started working at the Lincoln Museum, uh, very close to it. Um, so, uh, I mean, everybody's heard of Lincoln impersonators, as they call them. 
they make fun of them sometimes. Uh, but a Mary Lincoln presenter is is quite a bit more rare. There are not as many uh, Mary Lincoln uh, presenters as there are Abraham presenters. Many of the Mary Lincoln presenters are married to someone who portrays Abraham. Mm-hmm. I was not. I worked with Macon Ray, um, who was from Cordon, Indiana, and was part of the Young Abe Lincoln outdoor drama at the Lincoln State Park. And then when he retired, I worked with Dean Durrell, mm-hmm. who held the same position at the park that that Macon had had. And, and with both, we went to various locations throughout the area and performed, and, and then I did one-woman shows, and I was part of the Indiana Humanities History Alive program. Uh, that's what actually started bringing me into Fort Wayne, hmm. because I would be hired to perform at a school or two or three in the hmm. Fort Wayne area, and I would have downtime, and that's when I started coming into the museum and doing research. So, how does one, well, I guess, what kind of research goes into putting together a performance like you did? It it depends on what type of performance that you wish to do. Uh, Many people, um, they are very happy and content putting on the attire and standing behind, beside their husband, you know, while he basically answers the questions, and every now and then, you know, the, the lady will answer a question or two. What mm-hmm. I did was one-woman stage shows, so I had to write a script, and I actually wrote, I think, five of them. I designed mm-hmm. all of my stage wear, my period attire, and made it. Um, I carried sets along with me and had, you know, appropriate props for whichever performance I was doing. Um, And so my research began with wanting to find Mary's voice. And, of course, the best way to do that is to read her letters. Mm -hmm. And most of my scripts were very heavily based on quotations and stories from Mary's letters. Um, the one show that I wrote was actually a reader's theater that was a conversation. It was a fictitious meeting in 1868 between Mary Lincoln and Verena Davis. And mm. that particular show was always very challenging, um, but mm-hmm. fun you know, to perform. Um, I had two shows with Mr. Lincoln. Uh, One was a Christmas show that took place on December 24th, 1864. So we had to be time sensitive and only talk about things that had happened up until that time. And the other show was called Lincoln Letters, and it was a seven, it was seven vignettes, and we usually performed it around a meal. So we would do our part, and then a course of the meal would be served. Mm. And, and there were seven courses to each meal. Um, mm. In that one, we used Lincoln and Mary's speeches, letters, 
newspaper articles they had read, uh, conversations they had supposedly had, and and that one was always very enjoyable to perform. Well, it it sounds you know extremely engaging, and then having seen you your work, I I can vouch for that certainly. Uh, but the level of research required not just uh, you know to, to give a talk or write an article, but to be able to handle questions afterward. Uh, you, as you say in the book, you, you liked uh, answering questions when the show was over, but you have to be ready for anything. And a, a person does. And in addition to being ready for anything, I mean, you have to be able to quick to think very quickly. And you have to know your character well enough to mm-hmm. know how that how you believe that person would have answered. Um, some people will do a Q and A, and they will completely break character and, and answer the questions, you know, as as a performer as, as they right. see fit. I didn't do that um, when I worked with Mr. Lincoln or a Mr. Lincoln. You know, we stayed mm-hmm. in character during the Q and A, and so the questions, you know, were directed to Mrs. Lincoln, and I would have to answer uh, accordingly. Of course, I'm very sympathetic to Mary um, because with her voice and portraying her, she's obviously going to defend herself. Um, and, and that's one reason why I started in the lecturing aspect of it instead of just the performing, because at a lecture, I could give, okay, this is the historical aspect of what truly happened. Mary mm-hmm. would not have admitted this, but yes, this did happen. Well, so that brings us to an interesting point, that, that wanting to defend Mary, because in many ways she, she sparks situations where she needs to be defended. We're going to take a short break. We'll come right back and talk more about Mary Lincoln and some of the controversies surrounding her. We're talking tonight with Donna D. McCreary. She's the author of Mary Lincoln Demystified, Frequently Asked Questions About Abraham's Wife. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice of America Variety Channel. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? We don't think so. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Ed Cheney. Ed and his guests will explain full-spectrum CBD using the whole hemp plant for good health and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Donna D. McCreary, author of Mary Lincoln Demystified, Frequently Asked Questions About Abraham's Wife. So, Mary, uh, I call it Mary, I, I've, I've fallen already for your persona. Um, Donna, the, uh, uh, was Mary, I think it was Dale Carnegie who said, the worst thing in Lincoln's life wasn't John Wilkes Booth, it was Mary Lincoln. Uh, was she just the worst thing ever, or was she a living saint? Um, which extreme must we must we go to? I think we need to say that she was a loving wife and a devoted mother and a human being and all woman. <laughs> <laughs> So somewhere in the middle, in other words. Somewhere in the middle. Now, in in your book, you occasionally engage directly with uh, what what some people have written about Mary. Uh, in the very beginning, for example, I, I guess I could just read questions all night, and that would simplify. Uh, doing a question and answer show, but that wouldn't be fair. Um, but in, in the question comes up about Mary's uh, siblings, and you cite Jean Baker, who, who of course has written a, a Mary Lincoln biography that many of our listeners will have read, and uh, you suggest that that she gets it wrong, gets some of the story wrong uh, about about. Uh, Mary's birth. Oh, I think I uh, basically said she that G. Baker uh, got quite a bit of the story incorrect. Uh, well, what I found interesting in the book is is that you you bring up some evidence, you know, showing that the actual birth sequence or or timing or order is different from what what Professor Baker presents. Um, but on the overall question about what we should think of Mary. Uh, a lot of listeners will just have in mind, you know, may, maybe some some single biography they read in, in uh, a Lincoln book in high school, and and what they know of, of Mary might not be very positive. You, you, I, I believe you don't there really... are several biographers who paint Mary in a very negative fashion. And, and you don't go after them by name in this book. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Uh, was that a conscious choice to just tell the story without directly engaging some of these negative approaches? Well, I, I'm not sure of the answer on that one. Um, the, there were several things that uh, did cause me to want to say that, yes, Professor Baker did uh, make a mistake on this as long as as well as many others. I think primarily the focus was on her for that particular question because mm-hmm. she has been quoted so frequently. You know, she perpetuated the misinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, her book 
was written in what 1988. It's still in print. It's still one of the best-selling biographies there is on Mary Lincoln, mm-hmm. and everyone quotes it, and they're quoting incorrectly. I think some of the other biographers who show a negative light on Mary, um, it it reads more as if it is their opinion, and there mm-hmm. are many of them. You know who yeah. who say Mary was shrew. Mary was uh, not beneficial to Abraham. You know, and and it is only I believe in more modern times that authors are beginning to say, well, you know, she really wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. And, well, well, and uh, it's more of an of opinion, not a fact statement. So, so, I mean, Baker is largely sympathetic to to Mary Lincoln in her biography. Uh, but where she gets some specific facts wrong, you're, you, that makes sense that you'd want to call that out and help set the record straight. Uh, but another author, and I'll, I'll go ahead and name names, uh, since I'm not the one writing the book or getting in trouble for it. Um, someone like, like Michael Burlingame you know, has never had a kind word to say for Mary Lincoln. Uh, but this isn't that style of book where you come back with... Uh, he's wrong, I'm right, here's my opinion. Uh, I, I guess that's not what you're setting out to do here. Right. And and with Dr. Burlingame, um, I, I did use several of his writings as source mm-hmm. material. Mm-hmm. Um, in some of the things that he writes, um, I look at it this way. Dr. Burlingame will look at a story, and he will interpret it the way he interprets it. And I will read that same original material, and I will interpret it however I interpret it. And if they're different, that's okay. We have Mm -hmm. both looked at the same material, and the original source material that we've used, we have quoted correctly. We just come to a different conclusion. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I, and that makes sense. The, the um, it, so let well, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed reading this. I'm, I'm trying to think what where to where to dive into it first, and maybe it makes sense to start at the beginning. Um, well, one of the first things you do in the acknowledgments is is talk about the idea for the book itself. Uh, and, and you say a conversation you and I had uh, many years ago when we were talking about just this phenomenon of, of doing presentations and lectures, and then you get questions from your, your audience, and how invigorating that is when people have been paying attention and they've got interesting questions. And that eventually inspired me to write a, a book about Abraham Lincoln, uh, Did Lincoln Own Slaves? and other frequently asked questions uh, about Abraham Lincoln. And you were kind enough to say in your introduction that that helped plant the seed for you to write this book. Um, so, so thank, thanks for the mention. I will say. Uh, oh, my pleasure. Uh, that was in two thousand and eight, mm-hmm. I believe, and we were at the Association of Lincoln Presenters Convention in Decatur, Illinois. I remember you were that the keynote speaker. And after your lecture, you and I sat down and had a private conversation and around the, the big table, and I mm-hmm. 
flat out ask for your permission and your blessing to uh, do a, a book about Mary in a similar style. That's right. That's just when when did Lincoln Owned Slaves was coming out, and and of course I have not copyrighted the question and answer format. Maybe I should have, uh, but no, I, I was delighted at the time that you you thought it was a good idea, and I'm delighted to see the book now with uh, with that format. Having said that, we your book takes in some ways a different structure. One of the things I thought was very interesting about this is that you you have several chronological chapters. You go through Mary's childhood, uh, her life with Abraham Lincoln in Springfield, the presidency, the assassination. And then you, you have several chapters that are thematic, that you look directly at, at specific aspects of Mary's life uh, that, that you wanted to, to shine more light on. And one of them that was very interesting was her relationship with African Americans, both free and enslaved uh, throughout her lifetime. At what point there did you have think been that... books I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, there have been books written about Abraham's relationship with African Americans, enslaved people and freed mm-hmm. and in uh, freed enslaved people. Nobody ever says anything about Mary, other than the fact that she was raised in a family that in, had enslaved household servants and mm-hmm. that her Motifs and confidant in Washington D.C. had been formally enslaved. Other than that, so, no one really talks about her relationship. Well, and that that was one of the interesting. Th- well, there were so many things in this book where I thought, you know, no one talks about this. You you, you discuss her servants, uh, the the household employees in in Springfield, and then you have a two page spread listing them all, uh, two or three pages, and I thought I've been reading about Lincoln for. 35 years, and I've never seen anyone actually take time to figure out who who were these people to give them names and 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 identities, uh, not just say, oh, the Lincolns hired some people. Uh, so, what was what did you find looking specifically at Mary and African Americans beyond the fact the Todds were wealthy and they had slaves when they were when she was growing up? I. I think Mary had a very um, complicated, you know, relationship with with all of her servants, whether they were African American or Irish or Portuguese. Um, mm-hmm. But at the and even though there was that employer employee relationship, and Mary definitely, I think Mary would have been a difficult employer mm-hmm. because she was very specific and what she wanted and how she wanted things done mm-hmm. and things had to you know suit her um, but at the same time she she seems to have a relationship or a heart for people where I think she truly treated everyone on some level she treated everyone equally one of my favorite stories about Mary's heart mm-hmm. is it, it came out of the Helm book, uh, the Catherine Helm book, where uh, Mary's in Washington, D.C., and she's in a carriage, and the carriage runs over a little boy, a little African-American mm-hmm. boy, and I believe his leg was broken. And Mary comes back to visit the boy, and she brings him gifts, and she comes and she checks on him, and 
Catherine, in her narrative, wrote Mary Mother's All. Mm. And I love that comment about about this very complicated woman. You know, she didn't look at this child and say, oh, you know, this is, this is a, a child of a different race or a different nationality. This was a child, and she her mother's heart came forward. And I think that says about a lot about her as a human being. And you got that story, you said, from the book by Catherine Helm, the, the Mary wife of Lincoln. You cite that as maybe the most valuable primary source besides the, uh, the letters, uh, besides well, Mary's own letters. Well, I say you have to take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us about, uh, for those outside the, the tight Lincoln world, who was Catherine Helm? Catherine Helm was Mary's niece. Her mother was Emily Todd Helm, who was Mary's half-sister. Mm-hmm. The reason I say it is a wonderful book and a wonderful primary source for all of these childhood stories is because Catherine and Emily... And gathered letters and stories from family, and they wrote them down. There was 18 years difference between Mary and Emily, so there's not. Emily obviously wasn't there, you know, first person when some of these stories were happening, mm-hmm. um, but others were. And so the theory is that you know they told these stories to Emily, or they had been passed down through the family. At the same time, <laughs> you have to be very careful with this book. Because parts of it are fabricated mm-hmm. um, to tell a good story. Parts of it are sugar-coated because Robert Todd Lincoln, Mary's oldest son, was still living at the time, and he was financing this book. Mm. So Catherine had to write a book that was going to make Cousin Robert extremely happy <laughs> and to shed a very positive light on, on his mother. Um, and then again, you know, because Emily wasn't truly there when some of these things happened, it, it becomes hearsay. Um, so we have to read it with a degree of skepticism, but, uh, yes. but it does give and us And there are some connection. parts where Emily was there. I mean, Emily did come to Springfield and stayed in Springfield for several months and visited with all of the sisters who lived in Springfield at that time. So we would like to think that that part is a little more reliable. Um, Emily did go to Washington, at D.C., after her husband had been killed and visited with Mary for 14 days, I believe it was. And so those stories, you know, we would like to think are a little <clears throat> a little more believable. Um, but the story that's in the book about... Mary jumping out of the carriage and wanting to give King Solomon some money for tobacco. Um, no, that's probably not true. Mm. So, so some of them work, some of them don't. Um, I was interested to read your identification of the the worst um, uh, uh, Mary book. Call I won't give the author's name so people won't rush out and buy it, but the title was The Lincoln-Douglas Triangle with Naughty Mary Lincoln Seduced by Latest Paris Fashions. Have uh, you ever I've read never that seen that book. book. No, I've never seen it. <laughs> I own a copy of it. I have read it. <laughs> so it's a real book. 
Oh, yes, it is a real book. Wow. Uh, it is a terrible book, but it is a real book. Um, the author of that particular <clears throat> manuscript suggested that Stephen Douglas was truly Robert Lincoln's father. <laughs> Un- unlikely, an unlikely case indeed. But uh, the um, well, talking about unlikely things, in terms of getting asked questions uh, after lectures or after performances, is there? Do you have any questions you would get? more than once where you think, ah, not this one again, uh, ones one you didn't care for? <laughs> Was she really crazy? <laughs> ah, well, there. well that, that could take the rest of our show. That's a, that is a great question. Um, and there's the, an entire chapter devoted to it in the book. <laughs> There is, and uh, one of the things I liked about the book was the structure in which, by, by giving... Uh, a whole chapter to Mary's life after Lincoln, actually two chapters. Um, uh, she's not just an appendage to Abraham Lincoln. She she is a person in herself. But let's take a break and come back with that question. You can mull it over, folks. We'll come back and put the question to our guest tonight, Donna McCreary. Was Mary, in fact, insane? Uh, and you can also find the answer in her book, which we're discussing tonight, Mary Lincoln Demystified, Frequently Asked Questions About Abraham's Wife. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking with Donna D. McCreary, author of Mary Lincoln Demystified, Frequently Asked Questions About Abraham's Wife. It is a book-in-question-and-answer format that looks at Mary Lincoln uh, for several chapters chronologically. You get the story of her life and then goes into some detail on specific 
uh, matters, as we discussed in the previous section, Mary's uh, relationship with the uh, African Americans and with the people who worked in the Lincoln household. And then one of the chapters dedicated to the question was Mary Lincoln insane as a as a court. Uh, ruled uh, at, at one point in, in Chicago. So uh, that's a question that you got all the time, Donna, you said, and uh, one that, that needs a long answer. We have plenty of time. Um, was Mary crazy? I think when most people um, ask the question, was she crazy, what they really want to know is, did she suffer from mental illness? Uh, you know, to answer the question, was she insane, we have to say, well, yes, she was declared insane by a court of law, therefore the insanity um, question, would, the answer would have to be yes. To say, did she suffer from mental illness, I don't think historians are ever going to agree. Hmm. There have well, been... Several who have said, you know, she suffered from bipolarism, uh, manic depression, postpartum depression, um, post-traumatic shock syndrome, um, the vitamin B deficiency. I mean, there's a long list Mm. of things that people say medically, this is what could have been wrong with her. Mm -hmm. So where... where what kind of evidence do people normally cite? What kind of behavior do they point to? I think many of them point to the mood swings, the things that other people said about her in in her behavior, you know, her, her mood swings, her, um, I think it was Helen Edwards who said, you know, she was, um, you know, like all sunshine, you know, but then... <laughs> <laughs> she would she would cry a little like rain or something. Um, mm-hmm. People talking about temper tantrum, temper temper tantrums that she would throw. Mm-hmm. Um, her manic spending, um, and then other people will look at some of those things and say those behaviors by today's standards would not be, you know, classified as crazy or insane. We might jokingly say someone is a shopaholic, but we don't necessarily claim that they are, that person is insane, mm-hmm. you know, because they like to shop. Um, oh, one, of the, one of the things that I, I, that I enjoyed learning from this book was the frequently cited evidence that at one point she purchased 300 pairs of gloves at one time. And I admit I've cited that in, in answering questions about Mary. But you point out in this book that these are the kind of gloves that she and her husband would wear at receptions, very thin uh, gloves for ladies or gentlemen. And they were so thin that they were essentially disposable, and they might go through two or three pair in a single reception. Mary would go through two or three pair. Abraham would go through five. Because so buying three more hands than she did at a reception, uh, they are disposable, and you know this is pre-washing of many mm-hmm. types of fabric. Your white glove gets soiled. Heaven forbid that you offer a dirty glove 
to mm. a lady coming through the receiving line at the White House, you have to change your glove. And then um, other women, like Sarah Burkhart, when, they, when she came to America, she had 350 pairs of those gloves in one trunk. Because she so, was a public figure, and she was... She was a public figure. She was going to be doing receiving lines. And you, so when you compare what Mary purchased to what other women, I, I can't really say of her same position, because there was no other first lady. Right. But other women of society were, were using... Um, it's compatible. It's very compatible. And it, also, it, with the 350 pairs of gloves, that was not one a one-time purchase. She purchased several dozen, waited a few weeks. You know, hey, they were on sale. It was a good bargain. She bought a few more. And then you have to look at when she bought them. She bought them in 1865. And in 1865, we're getting close to the end of the war, the social... Uh, scene in Washington is going to increase. There are going mm-hmm. to be more soldiers coming through. When you look at it from that perspective, that is not an outlandish purchase. That actually, it's a woman looking for a good buy and making a bargain. And, and she's looking for four more years of, of being in the White House in, in 1865, yes. and obviously. Those 350 gloves are go- based on the social schedule. Mm-hmm. They're going to last her about four to five months. With them being disposable. So, and in today's These gloves were so thin that when a mm-hmm. lady wore them, you could still see the outline of the nail bed on her fingers. So we're so talking in, in, very fine gloves. In, in the post-COVID world that we are in, the idea of, of you know, shaking hands with 300 people, I, I wouldn't want to do that right now, um, vaccinated or not. Uh, uh, but if I were, I'd be happy. I'd, I'd like to wear some disposable gloves. And it makes well, sense. Uh, Lincoln was quoted as saying uh, when he signed the Emancipation Proclamation, he had shaken so many hands, his, hands was sw- his hand was swollen. Right. So, so uh, it, 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 it's a tidbit, but it, in terms of a piece of evidence used to show Nan, uh, that Mary Lincoln is, is manic in some way, buying you know hundreds of pairs of gloves, it's not an Imelda Marcos moment. She's not buying hundreds of pairs of shoes just for herself. Uh, she, she, she's buying uh, actual something she's going to need in 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 the White House uh, social world. Uh, in terms, so so Mary was judged by a court of law to be insane. Uh, was she committed to an asylum after that? What happened to her? She was actually committed to the state asylum. Uh, Robert at that point intervened and had her placed in a private home with uh, Doctor Doctor Patterson mm-hmm. or Peterson. I, you know what? I'm so, having a senior moment. He had her placed at Bellevue <laughs> in um, a private situation where she she really got to come and go quite a bit as she wanted. I mean, she couldn't you know leave the grounds, but she could mm-hmm. take carriage rides and she could walk around. And you know, she wasn't confined to a room where 
when we think of state asylums back in those mm-hmm. days, we think of rooms with bars on the you know everywhere right. and you were isolated and and that wasn't the case with her. She took her her meals with the family. Um, she was allowed to have visitors. Mm-hmm. And so, she wasn't she wasn't there all that long either. Oh, just a little over well, just a little bit under 4 months. Mm-hmm. And many people think that, you know, she went to the uh, to Bellevue, and then she died there, but that that is not what happened. Hmm. So, so what did happen? Well, <laughs> she met some newspaper people and a very nice lawyer, and there was a campaign to a public campaign in the newspapers to have her released. Um, her sister Elizabeth and Elizabeth's husband Ninian got involved and. They decided that she could come stay with her, with them, and Mary basically convinced Robert that if everything, if she could go to her sister, she would be a very good girl. And um, she was for a while. Um, She had her second trial. She was declared competent, and she bought a one-way ticket, boarded a ship, and went to Europe. (laughs) So <laughs> she did not stay put. <laughs> no, and that was not her first time going to Europe, though. No, it was her second. The first time she went was Tad, and Tad was educated in uh, Frankfurt, Germany. So, so in, this is all in her post-war years, of course, and that, again, one of the strengths I thought of the book was the the discussion of what happens to Mary afterwards, because... There's a tendency to finish the Abraham part of her life and then just just move on. Um, and and you said, and I, I was glad to read this, that at the very end of her life, she and Robert uh, were, were reconciled to some extent. Her, her eldest extent, son, Robert. Yes. yes. She, um, he did come, you know, to see her uh, when she was at Elizabeth's house. Uh, there mm-hmm. at the very end, he was not there the day she died, but she, you know, he had been there to visit. Um, so I'd like to think that there was some kind of reconciliation. Now, looking at the very title of the book, uh, "Mary Lincoln Demystified," it's not Mary Todd Lincoln Demystified, and I was fascinated to read that he said Mary. Lincoln never signed her name Mary Todd Lincoln. She so why do did. we know why do we know her as that? That's that started there was a little bit of reference to the Todd family um at the time she died, but mainly the Mary Todd Lincoln became popular uh, with Robert. Mm-hmm. Um and Emily. Uh, Robert signed Robert Todd Lincoln. And his wife, of course, you know, her name was Mary. Mm-hmm. And to distinguish between Mary Lincoln, the wife of Robert, especially when he was Secretary of War, and mm-hmm. to distinguish between Mary Lincoln, wife of Robert, and Mary Lincoln, mother of Robert, everyone started referring to Mrs. Abraham Lincoln is Mary Todd Lincoln. 
and Emily was another one who always signed her middle name. Always signed her middle name as Todd, even though you know her middle name was something different. She always signed her name Emily Todd Helm. And when she wrote about Mary um, in the late 1800s, she she labeled her Mary Todd Lincoln. So the person that we know as Mary Todd Lincoln knew herself as Mary Lincoln, and uh, and that's how we know her through this book. Uh, we have a couple minutes left. I want to do what we like to do on the show, fire up the Civil War talk radio time machine, and ask if you could go back in time for half an hour and talk to one person, but not Mary Lincoln or Abraham Lincoln, because that would be too easy. Who else in the in that world would you most want to talk with? In the Civil War world? Um, ooh, that's a good question. The first person who comes to mind that I would like to speak with is Lord Byron. Ah. Of course, he's not really a Civil War character, but he is a ah. wonderful author and my favorite poet, and he was one of uh, Mary Lincoln's favorites. And so I would... I would like to, you know, have a nice little conversation with with him. Uh, but to go to Springfield, I think one of the people that I would truly like to speak with would be either Elizabeth Edwards or um, Mercy, Mary's dear friend. So people I, in in the Lincoln I, I would circuit. like to find out various things, you know, about about them and and their relationship with Mary from their point of view. That would that would be interesting to know about these people. Well, Mary Lincoln has been uh, uh, you know a figure of, of great public interest. In, in your book, you talk about pop culture references to her. Uh, you you clear up some myths, some some simple factual matters that people have gotten wrong in the past, uh, but you also talk about these big questions that, that maybe will never be settled, but uh, we can look at the evidence multiple ways. Uh, so listeners, if you have always you know, read the Lincoln books, you feel you know something about Abraham Lincoln, but thought that Mary Lincoln never got her side of the story uh, legitimately told, here's a chance to rectify that uh, by reading Mary Lincoln Demystified, Frequently Asked Questions About Abraham's Wife, written by our guest tonight, Donna D. McCreary. Donna, what a pleasure to catch up after too many years. It was really nice to talk with you again. I, I appreciate the opportunity. I always enjoy talking to you. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.